I'm Aria Schwartz, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. The draft has come and gone, and we are in the midst of the preseason. Camp is in full swing. Preseason games are happening, even though you can't watch them. And we are joined by Windsider writer Miles Ehrlich today on April 24th. our show please consider joining our patreon community patreon.com backslash windsider for less than a cup of coffee a month you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the w and don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content on windsider.com that's windsider.com are you looking to get tickets for the upcoming WNBA season thanks to our sponsor TickPick, you don't have to worry the original no fee ticket site and official ticketing partner of the WNBA champion chicago sky use the link www.tickpick.com backslash w-i-n-s-i-d-r that's tickpick.com backslash winsider for all your upcoming ticket purchases for the WNBA, NFL, NBA, or any other event. All right, Miles, let's hop into this. Training camp's in full swing. You've been in New York for camp, your home base, you were at the draft in your home state, your home city, I guess. Uh, I guess let's start with the draft. Talk me through it. What was it like to be in person for the first draft in a few years, um, to see the faces of the draftees as their name got called? What What was the vibe of the draft this year? Uh, well, first of all, great to talk to you, as always, Arye. Um, it was a really great experience for me because I – this is my first time ever going to the draft. I got credentialed first in 2020. So my entire experience has been these, these remote zoom drafts. So it was very cool for me. And it was a moment for me to kind of take a step back uh, and just kind of look at my journey as a journalist and also see these players that are having, so there were some players that were there from the Liberty, like Dee Dee Richards, who didn't have an experience, this draft experience of her own where it was remote for her. And I asked her about it the other day and she said she was kind of putting herself into the shoes of these draftees because she was able to take a step back and not be stressed about what city she was going to be going to in 48 hours or, you know, what team was going to draft her, but just kind of the excitement and the, the W put on a a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal venue and it was a great event. um, And it's a great thing for the league where these players are, really really just brought it they rolled out literally rolled out the orange carpet they had the draft picks go to the empire state building earlier which fun fact living in new york my entire life i've never been to the empire state building so they've already <laughs> kind of one up me there um and and then just to take it through uh i think that there were there are always going to be some there's always going to be some room for improvement um just in terms of having the fact that like we they were not even announcing the players that weren't the dozen that were there and that was a very weird thing uh especially it was even stranger when the last player left destiny henderson was just kind of sitting there and just watching a board and just waiting until her name was was called um but i think that 
just the, the the production value of it all was really good. And every year we're seeing an incremental uptick in the way that the league is covered. And it's obviously for those of us in our like insular bubble WNBA Twitter and everything like that, it's not going fast enough. But from an outsider's perspective, there is tangible growth. And I think that that's a great thing. Miles, you always look at the cup <clears throat> half full, and I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I mean, I was at the the draft. I want to say it was the one right before the pandemic. Um, and yeah, it, like I think it's hard, especially when you're there, to not be like wooed by the moment and like get caught up in it. Especially when, like you and I, you spend so much time, you know, backtracking, learning about these players, caring so much about the W. And then those types of nights, even if there is areas of improvement, those are the types of nights as media that like you really get to. You know, you get to see the other WNBA media. You get to interact with them. You get to discuss things. You get to meet your social media friends in real person. So I think no matter what, it's hard for it's hard to leave those types of events as a media member with a sour taste in your mouth. But I completely agree. I mean, that was something that I was very critical of um, the the draft that I was there. You know, it wasn't. It didn't seem like the idea was to put on a event that was going to honor each of the players drafted in that year's draft. It seemed much more of like this was the stage, the production stage for like to be presented to the outside world while it, I don't know. It, does that make sense? Like it, it didn't seem like the idea necessarily that the, the draft event that was built to present that as opposed to it was there to present, you know, what was happening on ESPN's live stream or the 12 players who were there. But yeah, I agree. I mean, how, like, we've all seen the videos from other, like, professional sports drafts of the players who just sit there. I'm sure there's some famous players who have used that as, you know, pinboard material. And yeah. who have just sat there late into the draft, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this might, I, I, I have a hard time putting this on the league. It might be a um, an ESPN direction or something like that. But, like, the need to to just drive home the trauma and the drama and these players are at their highest moment. And then, you know, Holly goes up there and asks them a question about the, the lowest moment of their lives. And it's, it's just excruciating uh, to, to watch some of that happen. And I understand that some of that is about, you know, driving ratings and finding compelling human interest stories. Um, but it's just such a frustrating thing to me because these players are, much bigger than their lowest moments. And while that might've been a step along their journey, I don't think it's the best time to kind of emphasize that. Um, my w- one funny thing that I, I, I experience every year anew as I'm covering the draft more and more is the disconnect between what's actually happening live and what I'm, what my experience is because there's always a delay Um uh, this year there were literally two separate floors at the draft one where the draft was happening and everything everyone was seeing on tv and then down a level the journalists were getting players five to ten to fifteen to twenty minutes after they were picked so i and there were like tvs in the corners but i couldn't see them from where i was sitting up front so shout out to our our very very patient editor danny goodman who was texting me live updates of the draft because i had no idea who was getting picked and what team was on the clock um, Who, and, what players coming next? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that whole system was was really strange. I had no idea who was going to come and see us next. Um, so it would be great if there was like a big board down there, so at least we had some kind of idea. Uh, but it was it was a very 
it was a very interesting experience. It was like that on Zoom last year too, where I had the, you know, I was home. I had the draft on the TV, but then in front of me, I'm talking to the second pick or the third pick and, you know, pick nine is happening on TV. And it was just a very like weird disconnect. And I don't know what the best way around that is, but it's just a very different experience. Yeah, I got to say, I mean, I'm not going to tune anyone's horn, but I'm going to give a shout out uh, to our Winsider newsbreaker because last year's draft was the one where Rachel just broke who was and obviously there's some people on social media who weren't the biggest fans of Rachel doing that I thought it was whether you're a fan of it or not I think it was a huge step in the breaking news culture of the WNBA of women's basketball women's sports in general we had never seen that before we've seen it on the men's side so whether or not you know it was your cup of tea you know I know some people are on social media they want to talk about the draft they don't want to like they want to wait for that moment um when the tv announces it uh but I do also think it's funny because you were saying that it was on a different level so when I was there for the the draft and now this episode's just turning into us regaling stories of when we went to the draft aren't we cool um (laughs) but it was literally like on the same floor and as the players left they did their little tiktoky instagram jiffy photo shoot whatever and then they came right into a scrum so like from the scrum with the players you could see the main room and the main big board and everything i i have to feel like that was just like a covid precaution that or caused people to thing, yeah yeah like just didn't even think about like oh shoot we need to put that down there because the reporters who are asking these questions need to prepare, need to know other things that are going on, might have other deadlines, other, you know, articles that they have to write and whatever. But um, all right, enough about the draft, because I feel very strongly about this. And I tweeted this out. And there's a reason we haven't done like a draft reaction pod yet. Rachel's busy doing, uh, you know, youth basketball things and tournaments in Wisconsin right now. So I'm honored to have Miles, but I just wanted to like kind of explain why we haven't run an episode yet. And honestly, the point, the reason is because like, Rachel and I recorded an episode and then we sat there thinking we're talking about these players who aren't going to make the roster. Like these teams literally can't sign these players. And so I don't want to give a grade to a team based on who they drafted. If they can't even sign a player, like I'm looking at Minnesota, how do you give Minnesota a draft grade knowing that it's literally impossible for them to sign And all right, literally impossible. It's not literally, they could cut a couple, you know, like, cut a player who doesn't have a a protected contract and sign a rookie, but that's just not realistic. And so for me, you know, I don't want to give a a, a draft grade because in my mind, and I know that there's a camp that would say I'm wrong about this, but in my mind, you're drafting to fill your team. But if you can't fill your team, you're just drafting and it doesn't actually matter. So how am I giving you a grade? You know what I mean? Yes. But at the same time, and and not to, no, no. Argue. Don't let everyone in on how the sausage is made, but we are in a content industry and people want those those hot takes. They want those opinions, right? They want to know we we are like people are coming to us and saying, How do how should I feel about this? And like like you said, we have spent months preparing for this moment and it feels so fleeting to then just and, and just like a little depressing to say well, okay, now we just did this giant spectacle and it doesn't actually matter and let's move on. So I think that there there are moments, especially for some of the franchises that might not have that short-term hope, that, that championship window that they're in right now, uh, that they want to hear. 
what did my half dozen picks for the fever do for me? Or, you know, and I know that's a different example uh, than a Minnesota, but uh, I, I do think that there is a space just for people to just rattle off some takes because there's nothing more fun than going to revisit those in three months or six months and just seeing how spectacularly wrong you were. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. No, I will say that like, there's, I think that in my mind, there's in the same way that when we do power rankings, there's different tiers in the draft, there's different tiers. Also, I can talk about the fact that, you know, I think LA had a good draft because they can actually, you know, yes, they're going to have to make some moves and maybe a player who, you might think is established on LA isn't going to be there next year because of these rookies that they drafted. But you know, Olivia Nelson Adota making LA's roster, it that would in my mind be like, okay, I already like what LA did, but realistically, I think they can only sign one player unless they end up, you know, making some moves that I didn't foresee happening. If they do, and I think Adota is making that case for herself based on her game last night against Seattle. Um, which we're not really going to touch on because if you follow WNBA, you know you can't follow or you can't actually watch the preseason games. So it's just a bunch of box scores and highlight videos that the teams put on. Clearly, there's cameras in the building. I don't care if it's, you know, a bootleg version of the game. Give me some tape because in my mind, one, you know, respect to these players who just got drafted who likely aren't going to make a team. You need film of you going up against real pros to possibly get overseas contracts if you're not that big of a name from college. You know, I mean, like, there's a lot to benefit from filming these games beyond just the coverage that you and I view it from, where we say, how do you expect us to cover this team and say, this player is going to have an impact, this player is going to play this type of role? You know, like, it's important for us to see preseason games, and I can't stress enough how frustrating it is for media to basically have a blind taste test of these games and you just see the box scores, you can't watch the games, then you show up to practice or you show up to the first game of the season and that's what you're basing your whole evaluation of this team on. Um, I mean, if you're able to go to all the training camps, like, you know, I know you've been to some, we'll get to that in a moment. If you're able to go to the camps, that's one thing. Um, And you can kind of see like, oh, they're doing this in in the camp and they weren't able to do that in this game, but I know that's the goal, and you can evaluate kind of through that lens. But it's so much harder when you have literally no idea what the team's been trying to do with these players, where they see this player fitting in on this team. I think that's where it gets really hard. But I, I went on a little tangent. Um, another team that I think, I, to your point, was Indiana. I think they did a great job. Were there some picks? Actually, I'm curious for you on this. Rachel and I have debated this off-air a lot. When you look at Indiana's picks, or heck, when you look at Vegas's picks, and like I, I look at them and I go, okay, like Destiny Henderson going that late, I would have taken her before Lexi, right? Do you do you look down upon the fact that they weren't in the position in the order that you would have liked them in, or do you look at it and you say it doesn't matter because they got both? Not only so. In the moment, so I think that's where we're we're kind of the, there's that first initial hot take, and now that we've we're removed by a couple of weeks, I think that this works out even better for them because the the six and the ten picks, Lexi Hull and Queen Egbo, were the those were the surprises, and then Destiny falling so far. But the difference in the WNBA between paying a first round pick and paying a second round pick is, I believe, about twenty thousand dollars. I think it's seventy to fifty. 
Um, so it is advantageous for the team, not for, for the players, but for the team to have these second round picks. So if you get someone to fall and you're looking, you just mentioned Olivia Nelson Adota, or if the Liberty keep Lorella Kubaya on, uh, on board for this season, now that's a player that you can reallocate that extra 20 grand to someone at the top end of your roster or next year in free agency. So when we're making these initial draft grades and everything's all out of order, that might feel one way. But then when you take a step back and you're like, not only did the fever get destiny Henderson at 20, but they also got her at a lower scale and that could then give them better opportunities in the future. So Yes, at, at first, to answer your question both ways, I was a little bit taken aback by the order, but long run, it might be beneficial to the team's development. All right, I hear you. Well, we've talked about that a little bit. I want you to take me in New York Liberty training camp. You've been there. You've talked to the players. You've gotten congratulations on your engagement, but who cares if a WNBA player congrats you? Let me congratulate you on your engagement live on air. Congratulations on your engagement. Talk me through uh, Liberty Camp and what you've seen um, in your experience so far. Well, first of all, thank you for being such a large part of that. You took the photos down in uh, DC for it, and we got to finally meet in person. So that was an amazing experience. That was the close second to the engagement itself. Um, Liberty Camp has been exciting. This is also, like I was talking about the draft being my first experience. This is the first time that I've been able to attend camp. Um, and there's an exciting, there's, I mean, everyone's going to say there's great energy there, but the big thing that I wanted to point out was that this is the first time since before the pandemic also that they've had practice players there, those scout, the, the male scout players there from day one, they came back midway through last year after some restrictions were lifted around the Olympic break. Um, and that allows teams to really focus up from day one and not have to worry about you know, having their second team playing defense and then not really tracking the the entire offensive set. They can stand on the side, watch what's going on, absorb it. And last year, kind of like the Fever do this year, the Liberty had 19 players in camp. This time they've got 14 and all 14 are pushing for those 12 roster spots. And that is a huge difference. There's, There's no kind of dead weight that they just have to keep on board just that they have enough bodies to throw out there and rotate. And I think that's going to make a huge difference. Sammy Wickham said on at the press conference the other day that they're already becoming a close-knit group. And it's it's kind of because you know for the most part, these are the people that you're you can build those relationships. These are the people that you're gonna stick with. These are a lot of familiar faces. Um, and the Liberty have a lot of players returning from injury. And I want to do a pre-plug, or by the time this article uh, this this podcast comes out, my article might be out, but I'm working on a piece for Winsider that's about three players that are returning from injury. Uh, Asia Dur, AD, they're coming back from the two years of long COVID. So that's been that recovery. We talked about that. Jocelyn Willoughby last year, about a year ago right now, because it was in a scrimmage against the Sun, I believe, um, tore her Achilles. So she's working back. And Paris Key overseas um, when she was playing in Israel last year she tore her ACL and was out for the season. So the three of them are back and healthy and all competing for those roster spots. And that's been, for me personally, that's just been amazing to see that resilience and seeing them back out there after they've been sidelined for so long. Um, not to, to pigeonhole, but I feel like the listeners, give me a little glimpse. How is Asia Dur looking? I mean, we've, we, 
I guarantee a large portion of our listeners saw just the heartbreaking video that she did on Instagram Live a while back where she was talking about, or maybe it was an interview or something, where she was talking about how hard it was, you know, she was out of breath just tying her shoes, getting up from the couch. Um, how does she look? I mean, I feel like that's that's got to be on everyone's mind and heart. I am saying this as someone who, you know, walks around the block at this point and gets winded because I haven't done cardio in two years, like most <laughs> of us. Um, but AD, AD looks just phenomenal out there. Uh, hasn't been taking off any plays. And I've been to camp for three of the five days or something like that. Uh, and AD has been practicing every day, um, staying after for shots, being really aggressive and really intentional um, with with just driving to the hoop or taking, you know, the open three, running in transition. Uh, if you hadn't known their depressing, like really, really difficult journey these last few years, you wouldn't know. And and Sandy said the same, that. It's, it's more of a, a mechanical catching up and getting back up to speed than it is a, a physical, um, which I think is really the best that we could hope for because Dee Dee Richards said to me yesterday that she didn't believe that AD would be back out on the court. Um, and I think that that's just a testament to, it's as, it's as recently as November when AD got cleared to come back. That's that's just wild. I mean, props to her. Excited to see her on the court. I know that was a player who all WNBA fans, specifically New York Liberty fans, but all WNBA fans uh, are excited to see what she can bring to this team. I, I'm excited for this New York Liberty team. I know they're probably, from what I've heard, they've been stressing like we're not, you know, the championship favorites this year. We're not trying to cut any corners and jump the front of the line. We are happy to take a few years to become the powerhouse that we envision this team to eventually be. Uh, any final thoughts, any other players um, kind of sticking out? What, what was your initial thought when the news came out about Sabali not being with the, or not being cleared health wise uh, to play for the team this season? It's, it's a huge bummer, obviously. Um, but with Niara's health history, it wasn't a shock to anybody. Um, so it, it kind of reminded me a little bit, and there are different financial ramifications, but a little bit of the Paris Key situation from last year, because Paris Key came on midway through the bubble season in 2020 and was pretty quickly uh, became a favorite of Walt Hopkins staff because she was one of the few players that was a, a, a willing bucket getter and could go out there and just create her own shot on a team, on a two and 20 team that really needed that. Um so last year when Paris Key got hurt overseas, by the time we heard about her having her ACL surgery, the Liberty had re-signed her and pushed her to a reserved contract, a reserved future contract. And what that enabled them to do was they were able, so Paris was able to use team doctors and stay in touch with the team and rehab through the team rather than having to deal with that on her own. And that's just an organizational thing. And I, I spoke to Dee Dee Richards about that specifically yesterday and got a really, what I thought was a really telling answer from someone who has also experienced some rehab from injury. And she said, if I can stay here my whole career, it's because of that. It's because of the humanity and the hospitality that the Liberty front office has for everyone on the team, whether it's the first man or the 12th man, because they don't have to do that. They, they chose to do that. 
Uh, and she said every day that she appreciates Jonathan Kolb for even keeping her because she had to work through an injury coming back. Remember, she got hurt um, in in the tournament ahead of the draft. So it's it's really a top-down culture shift that uh, it's not saying that that wasn't present in New York, but it's not present uniformly across the league. So you've got that, and you're also you've also got so they're bringing in Niara and maybe slotting her higher than some people think uh, she should have been, knowing that she wouldn't play. But well, so well, that's my question, I guess, from the outside looking in, and and maybe this is naive. You obviously assume when somebody is drafting somebody, you have done your your due diligence and your research on this player. Did they know going into the draft, if they drafted her, she would not be able to play? Or is that kind of murky? Because I feel like based on the reports I've seen, the news clips I've seen, it looked like it was a little bit murky and they got a clearer picture after she was drafted. Uh, It's a little bit murky and I'm not sure to what extent you're allowed to do those medical evaluations. Um, but the, but based on what I've experienced, what I've spoken to uh, the team about, it does seem like something that they were anticipating, at least in some respect. And it's so important to them to have her in the building and to have her getting familiar with the, with the staff um, and with the training staff and everything so that she's a hundred percent. So this is not a re-injury. This is, this sounds uh, more preventative, more to get her back to 100% so that she's not pushing it. Um, and we were talking about the the roster crunch, right? And how the the Liberty trading up for Lorella Kubai, knowing that Niora, that seems, that told me that they knew that Niora Sabali was not going to play this year. Uh, and I know that they had, they say, and every team says that they had Kubai higher up on their draft board, but to to get back into that second round and pick someone when you'd already picked a big earlier on said to me that they already knew what their plan was. All right. That's legit. Any final thoughts, any, uh, any tidbits you want to give us before we do a little, a little round the, round the league. Um, Hanshu Hanshu is back in camp first time since 2019. Um, and she's looking stronger and she runs the floor really well for someone who's, 6'10". She was 6'9 uh, last time she was here. She's grown an inch. She's now 6'10". Um, but a little nugget that I hadn't known, and I probably should have, but uh, it's sometimes hard to get these stats, is that she and Natasha Howard were teammates back in 2019 in China. Um, and there's there's chemistry there. There's high-low. And I specifically asked Coach Brondello about that the other day, and she said, yeah, we specifically run them together because um, they are both they can both shoot a little bit from outside, but just have a really good chemistry together early in camp. And I think that that's a really good thing to see, especially because it enables Natasha Howard to get out of the paint a little bit and to, to work on her own skill set, which she could take people off the dribble and, and shoot that mid range and everything. So Hanshu is not uh, just here to fill seats, um, but to compete and could actually make that roster and get some minutes from day one. Love it. Well, I've been keeping my ear to the ground, and a few names that I've heard that have had some impressive camps, or I've heard some rumblings, you know, keep your eyes out, pay some attention to these players. Avina Westbrook, um, I've heard she's been grasping concepts, getting comfortable with her abilities, playing, not thinking, flowing, and has positively impacted uh, the team from the beginning. 
Um, I also spoke to someone who was not surprised at all by Olivia Nelson Adota's game uh, against Seattle last night, saying that if you watched her in camp, you would totally understand what she's been doing. Um, and word also is Destiny Henderson, who very famously, uh, you know, didn't go to the the championship parade for her South Carolina Gamecocks. Instead, made it to to Indiana right away after the draft and started focusing in and dialing in. And I've been hearing she's been having a great camp, also. Yeah, I I love that. I love that for Destiny um, that she's got a chip on her shoulder because she's going to prove a lot of people wrong. And yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with all three of those players. And also Kirsten Bell, I've heard, is just very comfortable in Las Vegas and just ha- also has the personality to really fit with that team. So Kirsten Bell and Shakira Austin, who it's hard to say, you know, I'm surprised to hear something from a top three pick, but that's someone else whose personality really came through. And I think that that's, and it was just so uh, comfortable with whatever role she would be asked for. And when you're going to a team that ended up in the lotto, but was a championship contender barring injuries last year, um, she might not have the same role that you're looking at for the rest of the lottery or most of the players that will make it out of camp in the first round. Uh, So just being able to go in there with that mindset that I'm just here to do literally whatever you need. uh, I think that she's going to be a great fit in Washington too. Well, Miles, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously we'll have you back on the show throughout the season. Um, Any final thoughts, anything you want to say, remind the people where they can find your, your social media. Um, Thank you as always for having me. You can find me at Miles Ehrlich on Twitter. That's at M-Y-L-E-S-E-H-R-L-I-C-H. I write for Winsider. I also write for Nets Republic and Queen Ballers Club. And if you want to read all of that, uh, you can also go to my website, which is MilesErlich.com, where I also have a page dedicated to WNBA players and their dogs. And I have another crossover calendar section now, which is uh, the NWSL schedules uh, crossed over with the WNBA schedules for the five teams that have players that have um, the five cities that have teams in both locations. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know you did that. I'm not a dog person. I know. Kill me. But uh, but I still enjoy a, a photo of a cute dog. So I might have to check it out. <laughs> have a good one, Miles. Thanks so much, Arya. You too.